This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Good morning. Welcome. Whether this is your first out of the three, the second or the third. Uh, so apologies if you've been to all three, but some are coming for the first time this morning. So I'll just go through the quick practicalities uh, again. So uh, my name's Rob and uh, my wife Helen is, is sitting here. We're from Bolton and uh, I'll just be sort of hosting the morning if you like. And uh, Joseph and Lillian from uh, Zambia that you would have seen on the stage. Amazing dancing, Joseph. Jo- Joseph claims he's the only African who can't dance. But... <laughs> yeah, it's all changed today, the anointing of God on you. And uh, we heard, we heard one, Ginny's wonderful story yesterday. She's here from Sheffield City Church with, with uh, Stuart. And uh, th- this morning uh, we, we have to, uh, David and Scylla um, based at Woodside Church in Bedford. And uh, it's great uh, to, to have them with us just for sort of 24 hours or so. And uh, David's going to be talking about uh, warfare more as it affects us corporately. Uh, so w- spiritual warfare is a lot more than just does somebody have a demon and need deliverance. And uh, he'll be uh, talking about all that today. Um, you'll see that I've put this number up for texting any questions. Um, so the, uh, the mobile reception has been absolutely appalling. So I've been trying to send a reply to somebody for about 12 hours. Um, so we won't be doing any answers to people in this session because the messages just don't get through. Um, but uh, if you did want to ask something, uh, we'll try and answer probably sometime after event through that. Uh, the books that we, we recommended, apparently some are on the bookstore and, and some aren't. So if you wanted to say well, what, what books would be good for this, again, if you text that number and then there's a little list that I can copy and paste to you uh, in reply. Um, I'll, I'll let David introduce, uh, say something about uh, this, uh, the, the course that he's got on the website there because he could explain it uh, better than me when he speaks. But could you stand for a moment? Just felt this morning uh, that we, we really want to explicitly welcome the presence of God with us. Uh, so let's, let's just raise a hands a moment before us. I would say, Lord, you, you are so welcome here. Well, Lord, we, we know you are here anyway. And, and you especially promise, Lord, when we gather together uh, in your name, that, that you are here, Lord. And uh, Lord, we are aware of the enemy, but we want to be far, far more conscious of you, who you are, Lord. Your glory, your power, your majesty, your, your infinite love for your children, Lord. And, and we just want to say today, Lord God, lo the... It's maybe some, uh, in some way not nice subject matter that we are making ourselves aware of. Lord, we, we want to declare and speak to ourselves that you are Lord. You are Lord. There is only one creator. There's only one redeemer. There's only one savior. Jesus. Jesus the Lord. And we, we worship you today, Lord. And we, we pray, quicken our hearts by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Loosen anything of the enemy in our lives and churches uh, that needs loosening or revealing today, but so that we might be more free to worship you and live for you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For thou, O Lord, art I. 
Pavoliath, thou art exalted far above all gods, for thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. Jesus. Amen. Please take your seats. David, let's welcome uh, David Devonish to us this morning. Yeah, thank you very much for your welcome. Um, I managed, Stiller and I arrived just in time for this seminar yesterday. Uh, we didn't get here the first day because we just got back from Kenya. Uh, but Ginny yesterday, I believe probably Joseph and Lily the previous day, focused much more on uh, strongholds that affect individual people's lives. And I thought what I heard yesterday was absolutely excellent. So, uh, uh, but I'm not going to deal with that at all really except perhaps one or two illustrations um, of other things this morning um, but for many many years I taught a course which was produced in a book uh, called Setting People Free which although I wrote it nearly 30 years ago it still works <laughs> okay <laughs> because people still need setting free and a lot of the stuff I put in that book still helps them set free. And this is a course that can be done in local churches and because uh, it's now out of print, I decided not to reprint it uh, even though it was still being used quite a lot but simply put it on my website, daviddevenish.com uh, and anyone can load it down, download it for free. Okay, so that's a course on... Uh, covers issues, uh, uh, basic principles of Christian counselling. It covers uh, healing of past hurts, where what's often called inner healing or emotional healing, but healing of past hurts, a whole section on that. Deliverance from demons, physical healing, um, uh, and, 
and how this is, can work in a local church. So, um, I don't normally like recommending my own stuff. I know that's been extremely fruitful in many, many churches. So you can download it uh, from that website free. Um, also, one of the books around is my book called Demolishing Strongholds, which covers both the all aspects of spiritual warfare, including some of the theology of spiritual warfare, as well as practical ways of how to do it. So I'd recommend that to you as well. Okay, as I say, what has been covered so far is how uh, strongholds affect individuals. I'm going to today look at uh, how it affects church life corporately, possibly how it affects leaders in particular, depending on how much time we've got. And also I'm going to touch on what's a bit of a controversial subject, but a very important one, which I've been asked to cover, which is that about the spirit of Jezebel. Um, now, normally when I teach a whole course on spiritual warfare, not the one up there, that's for individuals, but I do a whole course on spiritual warfare, I have, I think, four seminars on those three subjects. Okay, each of which take an hour. So I'm going to have to speak very fast and you'll have to listen fast. No, I, I'm just going to have to draw out different things from that um, in order to really uh, give you at least the foundation for some of this in this particular session. But actually, in the New Testament, a lot of the scriptures that refer to spiritual warfare are usually by us taken out of their context whereas actually in almost every context they're to do with building the local church okay we forget that we make, we make it very individual that's particularly a problem in the west where we individualize everything uh, rather than seeing it in this context as applied to the people of God together that's far less of a problem in cultures which are much more corporate anyway. But, uh, so for example, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Okay? That's the classic spiritual warfare context. The context is Jesus building his church. Um, that means that also that where it says the gates of hell will not overcome it. Gates don't attack. We attack gates. The picture is a warfare picture where the preaching of the gospel and the building of the church involve us encountering and taking the initiative to attack enemy territory and we are given the assurance in that scripture that the enemy won't prevail against that onward march of the church. Amen. You understand? It's very important because often we use that scripture as if there's this poor cowering church and these massive gates coming at it. No, no, it's not like that at all. <laughs> and indeed, when you start preaching the gospel and building the church, you are seeking to re-establish the rule of Jesus in areas which has previously been denied to him. You understand? So of course it's spiritual warfare. Don't be surprised, therefore. 
where Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, etc., of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, therefore put on the whole armour of God. That comes in Ephesians. The whole point of the book of Ephesians is Christ reigning through his church until his glory fills everything. That's the message of Ephesians. Okay. Therefore, because we're involved in that, put on the full armour of God. And even the way the armour is referred to is corporate. Joseph, just come and help me a minute, could you? You see, we often think when we put up the shield of faith, it's me walking around against the enemy and hoping I get the shield in the right place so that these arrows don't get through. Actually, that's not the picture at all. The picture is this. In a Roman legion, which is what's talked about, mm -hmm. every soldier had a shield. That shield covered three quarters of his body and one quarter of the next person. Wow. Don't ever think that spiritual <laughs> warfare... <laughs> Don't ever think that spiritual warfare is something you go into battle on your own with your own shield of faith. It's not like that. It's our shield of faith. And they used to then, when the arrows came over, they would raise them so that together they stand against what is raining down upon them from the powers of darkness. Do you understand? Very important. Sometimes deliverance ministry becomes a specialism. And there are organisations that specialise in it. Now, I don't want to be critical of other members of the body of Christ, except to say deliverance is the ordinary work of the Church of Jesus Christ acting corporately and uh, uh, seeing that as part of what we do. Your enemy, the devil, prowls round like a roaring lion, leaking, looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. That is after a reference to elders and young men and they're working together and then is followed by a reference to the whole worldwide church of God. That scripture is about the enemy seeking to disrupt church life and pull people away from God. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, we use that in all sorts of contexts, and that's fine, as long as you see that the context of that was deceptive leadership in what were called super-apostles trying to take away the uh, church from their devotion to Christ. Okay? In order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. That's another spiritual warfare scripture. The context there is the danger of unforgiveness within the church of Jesus Christ. Got it? Therefore, spiritual warfare is a corporate issue. And that's the context of it in the New Testament. So that, that teaches a number of things. Firstly, as we build the church we need to take the spiritual warfare dimension seriously. You don't just take it seriously when something crops up and you have to do a, get into a phase of deliverance. Often you do that, actually, in church life. Sometimes there are seasons. 
I've found that just seasons where I'm seem to be encountering these things all the time, other seasons where they're not around quite as much. So there are seasonal things in the church, but as we build the church, the, uh, the, uh, we need to take the spiritual warfare dimension seriously in our prayer times together. Secondly, it means that churches can become places where the enemy tries to get a foothold whereby he seeks to destroy that church or stop its advance. And it also means Satan wants to stop the genuine building of the church because that is what God has declared he will not ultimately be able to do. Do you understand that? God has said the gates of hell will not prevail. Satan is always challenging God's rule and therefore seeks to challenge that statement. So in your local church, where you are confident that ultimately the powers of darkness not prevail against the church, actually there will be from time to time seasons of the enemy seeking to do that because he is seeking to move against the promises of God. We know ultimately he can't succeed in that because we believe in the ultimate triumph of Jesus Christ through the cross and resurrection and the ultimate sovereignty of God. But there can be skirmishes on the way where the enemy seems to prevail for a while. Okay. So, um, spiritual warfare in a church's corporate life. Now, I'm going to give some examples of that. Firstly, there's what I call foundational issues. You see, foundations in a church life are very, very important, just like they are in any building. You know, when you go and look at a building, you don't go and admire the foundations. They're not seen. But without those foundations, the building won't be what it is. Okay. Now, many times when I've encountered churches that have trouble after trouble over certain issues, it's because the godly foundation has not been laid properly and there are issues to do with the founding of the church which are which represent an enemy stronghold. Okay. Because what you have in the foundation gives characteristic to the whole building. Okay. Therefore, the, for those of you involved in planting new churches, the foundation stage is very important. Don't rush it. And if it takes a long time, don't worry. Because if you get that right and don't allow the enemy a foothold in that, that will produce amazing fruit in the future. Um, so, some can be foundational issues, and I'll give you some examples later on. Secondly, there can be issues that arise in a church as it grows and develops where ungodly attitudes or, con or, or ungodly contact, uh, conduct... By the way, I'm sorry I'm doing all this negative stuff, but 
That's what they've asked them this week on, so blame them. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, sometimes, as a church develops, there becomes a season of ungodly attitudes in the way things are handled, and that also can become a stronghold in the life of the church. And particularly when leadership falls into sin or wrong attitudes. Jeremiah 23:14 says this, "Among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie, they strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness." If you read the, uh, these Old Testament prophets, it makes you saying leadership is a massively important yet vulnerable issue. I've seen good leaders turn to manipulation when they can't get their own way. I've, turned, I've seen good leaders turn to control when they, don't, where they haven't got the patience to let the word of God, as they teach it, really deal with the issues in the church. That? Leaders can be insecure and therefore allow controlling or manipulative things to come into their leadership style because of their insecurity rather than trusting God that if they faithfully, with integrity, lead, then he will see them through. Okay? Now, Sometimes leaders, forgive me leaders here, okay, can try and take the promises of God and then manipulate their fulfillment. In fact, one of the most famous leaders in the whole of Scripture did that, Abraham. The promise of God was, you will have a son, and through that son, all the inhabitants, of the, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But it didn't happen. So he gave way to Sarah's unfortunate suggestion that he takes their slave girl and enables the promises to be fulfilled because there will be a child through the slave girl. Story that raises all sorts of issues. But what it was doing, saying the promise of God is this, doesn't seem to be happening, so I'll do something manipulative to enable it to happen. And I've, I've seen that happen. And I know I've been in danger early in my ministry of doing the same. Now, if something doesn't happen, you try and make it happen. Okay. So, here are a few... Um, issues to do with the foundation of the church. Firstly, stronghold of division. Sometimes churches start because of a division in a previous church. And I've seen this many times. And I've had to help churches stand back from that 
and say, we will not do things in reaction to what happened before. We will, it's not saying that you can't start another church in those circumstances, but you make sure it's out of vision, values, calling, and so on, and not reaction to what happened elsewhere. Okay, I've often, leaders often can lead out of reaction and make decisions out of reaction rather than out of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because you don't want it like that. But I've found churches with that wrong thing in the foundation, then you'll find two or three years later they'll divide. And then a bit later on, if it's not dealt with, others divide. Because it's a foundational issue. Or, um, strongholds of, and this can happen particularly in smaller churches, and in our own church, it was in danger of engulfing the leadership in a problem when we start in the first two or three years of started. There was a relationship breakdown between two leading couples, not elders, but two other leading couples in the church. Okay, massive relationship breakdown. And because you were a small church, this became all-absorbing. The elders got drawn in. It almost divided them because they were attempted to take different sides. And it hadn't been dealt with in a godly way, it would have reproduced itself in relationship breakdown within the church. You're you're following me. I hope it's not too bad news, all this. But I'm just giving you examples. Stronghold of bitterness and unforgiveness can happen in church life as as well as in individual life. And that specifically gives the devil a foothold. And in a corporate context, Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to... Does anyone know how it finishes? Defile many. Bitterness in a church context is not usually confined to the person who's feeling bitter. Okay. Therefore, if bitterness is growing up within a church, you can guarantee, because the Bible says so, it'll defile many unless you deal with it. Another stronghold that can be in the foundation is stronghold of humanistic teaching where the lack of clarity and leadership on issues such as counselling, parenting and marriage where humanistic influences and of the modern age weigh more than God's word. Now, I believe we can learn from, you know, church doesn't have the monopoly of wisdom, God distributes wisdom as part of his common grace all over the place and we can therefore learn from the world but we test it all by the word of God.
Okay? And then as churches develop, there can be other strongholds come. So one is the stronghold of manipulative or domineering leadership. Can I say, sometimes churches can start without that. You can have the same leader who some years later, because it gets bigger and he doesn't feel he can control it anymore, what was latent in there of control becomes blatant in terms of control because, the op- because it, somehow it won't work in his mind or without that. I don't know, I'm getting a few nods, so one or two people can possibly relate to it. And, you see, the essence of witchcraft is control. That's what, you're trying, that's what people are trying to do. In all sorts of cultures, it has different manifestations, but the essence of witchcraft is trying to use other means to control people's lives. And godly leadership must teach the word of God faithfully, must seek to disciple people well, must not be afraid to confront things in people's lives, but never cross the boundary into controlling those lives. Sometimes it's a fine line. You're trying to help people. And sometimes your own security is bound up in whether they are helped or not. So you feel bad if they're not helped. Therefore, you try and help the Holy Spirit a bit. (laughs) And then that develops into controlling attitudes. Okay? And that becomes then a stronghold in the life of the church. And I've had to sometimes (coughs) deal with that, deal with it quite strongly. And uh, sometimes, as I say, it's where leadership development, discipleship starts in a healthy way. But that's okay when people have not developed well. When people develop well, you're releasing them, and they may go, I'm talking as if you're the main leader in a place, and they then may well go beyond you in their gifting, They have their own opinions. They have new creative ways of doing things. And a leader can feel insecure instead of saying, that's what I always wanted to do. Because our whole objective is to release people to serve the purposes of God according to what God has given them to do. Okay. There's a few more I could deal with there, but I won't because of time. But I want to just touch on one very, very important one. And that is what I call in my book, Demolishing Strongholds, I've got a whole thing on this here. Battle for the first fruits. Getting new things that are of God started will almost always involve battles of faith, opposition from the enemy, 
and therefore a spiritual warfare dimension. It's pioneering work in any situation, whether it's a local church starting something fresh, or whether it's ch- planting a new church, or it's reaching new ethnic groups across the world, or starting new social action projects to bless the town, is usually met with a higher level of resistance than the normal course of church life. Has anybody else observed that? Okay, good. Now, because the enemy resists new advances into his territory. And that happened in the Bible. When Jesus started his ministry, what happened? He was filled with the Spirit, driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, to be tested by the devil for 40 days. And the tests were all tests as to what he had been called to do. If the Father had said, you are my dear Son, for if you are the Son of God, you understand? The test was... And the test was also as to the nature of his leadership. Would it be his, his own needs being met first, turn these stones into bread? Would it be wanting to take the promise without the cost of the cross, the kingdoms of the world were promised to Jesus, the devil offered to them him without having to go through the cross? Imagine that temptation. Or would it be to try and lead by a show, throw yourself down from the temple, the angels will catch you. Gosh, wouldn't that be spectacular? You know, that that one would go viral on YouTube, wouldn't it? (laughs) And all sorts of celebrity would arise for that. But the temptation, no, he resisted the temptations in the battle for the first fruits. And then when he got back to his hometown shortly afterwards, there was another battle because his hometown rejected him. When Paul went to new places, when he went to Cyprus, he was opposed by a... uh, Uh, a a magician when he went to Philippi he was opposed by a slave girl uh, with a spirit of fortune telling when he went to Corinth he got oppressed by depression wow that's Paul each time when there was one when there was a uh, when when a new breakthrough and certainly in, in, in our experience in ministry that's been massive When we planted our church, we had some wonderful new converts. Remarkable. All from a tough estate. Nearly all of them backslid. Even though it was remarkable what God did. What? And you look at yourself, oh, useless leader. (laughs) Because we can get into that, you know. But actually, it was battle for the first fruits. Now, I'm not promising you your new converts will backslide. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is you have to be aware 
and then most new things we've started. Often I've seen when I've been helping churches in other cultures where the idea of team leadership is not familiar. We actually have had the advantage of that in, in the West in that quite a lot of our business is run by team and so on because it's in that concept has become part of the culture in a good way. You know, everything's bad about our current culture. But when I'm working in situations where there's no concept of team leadership in the culture, the battle for that has been enormous. And I've appointed people who are brilliant assistants to the, lead, to the pastor and made them elders, and then they became a pain to the pastor because they'd be given authority and they didn't know how to handle it. And, you know, it's tough. Because when, you, when you're trying to establish something, the enemy resists. Okay. Uh, when I started this course, Setting People Free, the, I won't go into detail about what it was, but the backlash in our family was horrendous. When I did it, I just thought I was teaching this course to train our own church in doing, setting people free from demons and doing inner healing and things. I never dreamt I would teach it all over the world. But the enemy knew that. It was a battle for the first fruits. Battle for the first fruits in church planting. Battle when we started working in the Muslim world, as I did. You know, the battles we got, getting things established in the first place. Okay. So, these are all I'm just taking out. You know, I've got loads of stuff in my notes. I'm just taking a few isolated sections, which I feel is probably right to, to mention for you. Okay. If I don't mention the one you were hoping I would, sorry. Uh, but I've also been asked particularly to look at this issue of the Jezebelic spirit and what that is, because it's a massive, massive issue. Now, firstly, be careful for two reasons. Firstly, because people, when they get hold of the teaching on the Jezebelic spirit, one danger is to see everything as Jezebelic. Every time anyone resists your accessibility. <laughs> um, usually it's not. But when it is, be careful again, because how to handle that demands covering from others and real sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and also firmness of resolve. Okay, so what does it mean? Because I'm sure some of you have heard it. Well, but could I just say, by the way, Jezebel's spirit, as we'll see, a lot, a lot of it involves control, but you can have controlling, particularly in family lines, that is not Jezebelic, it's just the way that family has always functioned. Okay, remember one lady, Scylla and I prayed for many years ago, there was a time when the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully in our church and she got very angry. So, 
came around to see us and said, well, why have you got so angry about this? And she said, because you can't control it. So that immediately caused us to think. And we said, uh, I just felt to say, did your mother control you? And she said, oh yes, most definitely. And her, her grandmother controlled her mother. And she said, I hate it, but I'm beginning, her children are getting to teenage years by then. And I hate it because I'm beginning to show the same thing myself. So we did some deliverance ministry, set her free from the spirit of control. Remarkable, the first uh, time, she, first time she realized she was free, well, two things. Firstly, she enjoyed the move, the move of the spirit. Secondly, went to a shop, got some clothes off the rack that she fancied buying, and suddenly thought, normally, she said, I'd have put them back because they would have been the sort of clothes my mother wouldn't like. So, uh, you might say, come on, your pastoral ministry is to help people be free to choose their own clothes. Well, if that's what it takes. But I'm just <laughs> But it's, it's true. She suddenly I can wear what I like. And she's a godly woman, so she liked more well, appropriate things. But it was... And I... So you get control that particularly works through families. But that's not the same as the Jezebelic spirit, which is much, much, much more powerful and works in lots of other ways. Okay? So, here we go. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, a weak king in Israel. She came from a family that worshipped idols, Baal, and she led Israel away from God to Baal worship. The New Bible Dictionary says this, she had a strong domineering character and was self-willed and forceful. Her conception of an absolute monarchy was at variance with the Hebrew covenant relationship between Yahweh, the king, and the people. Now that's very important. So domineering character, self-willed and forceful, and she had this concept. See, leadership in the church is always a recognition that these people are not ours, they're God's. That's what, so the king in Israel was meant to say, I'm simply serving God and the people belong to him. Jezebel tried to change even the constitution of Israel so that there was an absolute monarchy. Okay, and Jezebel became a symbolic name and her name is used to describe others who function in a similar way says in Revelation 2.20, Nevertheless, I have against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food offered to idols. Hence, the term is now rightly used to describe a type of evil spirit and attitude in certain people who operate in a manipulative and controlling way and often leads to immorality. It's very powerful in many societies. And could I just say, so some societies, I, um, 
Yeah. I've only twice had demons appear to me in the night and talk to me. Okay. It's only happened to me twice. Both were in a culture which was totally matriarchal where I'd been setting people free from uh, some awful stuff that came from the matriarchal spirit and twice this thing came in the night, threatened me and told me not to teach on this stuff anymore. I'm still teaching on it. But (laughs) because, you see... We're told to resist the devil, but often people only half quote that scripture. So they say, resist the devil and he'll flee. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. In other words, you persist in doing the will of God and I remember praying that time when it, uh, they, because the, the, the spirit threatened, if you teach this subject again in this place, I'll completely destroy your family. That's what Spence said to me. And I prayed, and I was in the middle of the night, and... I felt that scripture came to me, submit to God. So I just prayed, Lord, what do you want me to carry on preaching? Do you want me to carry on preaching on this tomorrow or not? Felt he did. And I submitted to God. Okay, now that's extreme. Most people don't experience that. But I tell you, when you're encountering, that was where it completely controlled that particular culture. I had one older lady in the church, one of the churches I was ministering to, who confessed to me that because she couldn't control her sons anymore, this is a Christian lady, been a Christian for many years, she went to the witch doctor to put a curse on them so that they would still do her will. (laughs) She was being repentant, so you understand, she was saying that's what she'd done. So it was massive in that particular culture. And there are, I haven't got time to go on to cultural uh, Jezebelic stuff. Now, there's one big problem with using the term spirit of Jezebel. And that is, you immediately think female, don't you? Could I just say, though the original Jezebel was female. The spirit of Jezebel can operate through males or females equally, people who operate in a controlling, manipulative way. So please, please, because I've sometimes heard this sort of stuff I must have 
made me a big temptation to turn off at that point, you see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for our good leadership, we release men and women equally into the gifts God's called them to do. So we must never, never, ever use the fact that there's a Jezebelic spirit around to say somehow that stops us releasing women fully into the calling that God has got for them. You hear me? Because the Jezebelic spirit I've seen operate through women, I've also seen it operate through men. So it's a spirit of things, not... Um, even though the two examples in the Bible are, uh, refer to particular women. So, nevertheless, Jezebelic spirit can lead to a distortion of biblical femininity and could be a satanic distortion of true godly femininity expressed in other biblical role models. Now, actually, encouraging godly expressions of releasing women into the calling God has for them is actually a help to us in dealing with this, rather than the opposite. Do you understand? Because I believe that absolutely passionately, that God calls leadership to equally uh, release women as well as men. And we've got some ground to make up on that, and we're trying to do so. Okay. And also, Jezebel needs an Ahab equivalent. The Ahab equivalent was, and it's permitted to prosper through Ahab-type characters who benefit from the Jezebel Rather than, uh, uh, rather than leading it. And Ahab is one manifestation of a distortion of biblical masculinity of a man that won't take responsibility. Though there are, of course, other wrong manifestations, there are other distortions of biblical mas masculinity, such as dominance and patriarchy and so on. Okay. In, in church life, it can operate either through abuse of authority by those leading or manipulation of authority by some people being led. So it can come from the leadership or it can come from people who are resisting the leadership but seeking to manipulate the leadership in the way they resist it. It can come in both ways. And... It has a number of characteristics. Some I've already talked about. But these are, if you take all these characteristics, you um, will begin to see whether it's a simple controlling thing, which is wrong, but you can deal with uh, in a particular way, or whether it's a Jezebelic thing where you have to deal with it much more drastically um, but also be sure that you're well uh, covered and supported when dealing with it. So firstly, it's ambitious for preeminence and control. Okay. So I've come across it where 
people may not be particularly prominent in the church in the sense of always being up the front going through the mic and all that sort of stuff but quietly enable resistance to godly move forward to take place because they're basically ambitious for preeminence and control. The second thing, and this is different from other forms of control, there's tremendous anger when, it go, when it's gone against. I tell you, when I've confronted spirit of Jezebel, the anger that's been manifested against me has just been incredible. So, Elijah, when he defeated the prophets of Baal, You think, wow, what amazing guy. Then Jezebel got angry and he ran for his life and fell into depression. That's right, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. Jezebel got angry. Fiercely independent and unwilling to submit to authority. The name Jezebel means literally without cohabitation or not dwelling. Refuse to, deal, to dwell together with anyone unless they can control and, and dominate the relationship. That can work in a family and that can work in a church and that will work in society. Seeks to undermine and emasculate men. Now, that even applies when it works through another man. I remember one church that I was aware of where the leader actually, although it wasn't known at the time, was into immorality, was sleeping around, but also controlled the church through manipulation. And even his eldership team, and so... he would mock his fellow elders publicly, regularly. So that they became emasculated from standing up to him, even though, you know, that wasn't working through a woman opposing the leadership, that was working through them personally was the leader. It induces fear and discouragement. Elijah, it happened to. John the Baptist. Yeah. He got discouraged, he got fearful. Are you the Christ? Are you the one? After he'd been witnessing to him for ages. But um, under the opposition by Herodias, another Jezebel. He became discouraged and eventually lost his head, of course. It's possessive of property. I've come across this where there's been cultural and cultures I've ministered to where Jezebel spirits have been strong. People are always demanding property rights. So Jezebel got... Naboth's vineyard for Ahab. It was deceptive. Can inflict physical sickness 
So you need covering when dealing with it. Sorry, this is all a bit grim, isn't it? But I've been asked to teach on the Jezebelic spirit, have I? And that's often manif- and it's often the anger and the sickness can often be manifested in people who seek to stand up to it or de- endeavouring to get free. It frequently leads to sexual immorality. Will use every means of sexual perversity, though control is w- what the spirit seeks. Again, when I've had to deal with this, I've been leading meetings and I can see the resistance in one or two people's face that I almost have to not look in that direction when I'm making certain statements. It's weird. Because I know I'm being manipulated into modifying what I've been saying. And there can often be a manipulate, as I say, sexual, often when a leader gets into immorality and carries on leading because it's hidden. And sadly there's been lots of examples of that. Their, their leadership becomes more manipulative because they're not leading in the purity of anointing because of what they're still anointed because God doesn't call that back. But they're not leading in the purity of that but through other motivations. Also, there can be manipulation on a leader. So women who develop problems, only the pastor can understand. And are always wanting to speak to the lead elder or the pastor rather than the women that have been asked to help them. So there can be manipulation on a leader, there can be manipulative by a leader. Pastors who become authoritative and manipulative can be operating under this spirit. They will tend to retreat from accountability. If you're leading a church or an elder in a church, for goodness sake, be open and accountable in all sorts of contexts. They retreat from accountability and then become lured into flirtatious relationships, possibly leading to adultery. It can seem to be spiritual. That's where it becomes very, very subtle says in Revelation, she calls herself a prophetess. But actually, please never, 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 if you've got a prophetic gift, be tempted to move in the direction of using your prophetic gift to achieve outcomes because you prophesy it that you want to happen. That doesn't mean you're Jezebelic. It means you're being tempted to moving along that road. Whew. She calls us actually her greatest enemies are the prophets who truly hear from God. Jezebel hates true prophets, but can operate through prophets 
who are unwilling to submit to godly authority or permit their prophetic words to be tested. I remember one I came across and the person actually said, how dare he try and test my prophetic words? Okay. So, how do you help churches resist this? One difficulty often is it operates very subtly and is difficult to get hold of with specific examples, though we know in our guts there's something happening. And what I do under those circumstances if I sense it's working and it's a dangerous prayer but I will sometimes pray that something will take place where, which makes it obvious that I have to confront okay because sometimes it's so subtle that you feel it's there but you can't really deal with it so I have prayed that. It's a dangerous prayer because it puts you really exposed because <laughs> it happens. God answers that prayer. Bring things out so that you can see clearly what it is and other people can see clearly what it is. Then you confront with the hope that will lead to repentance. But in any case, you then learn to stand firm. You get prayer support from those around you. You get covering from those over you in the Lord. You do all this, please, when dealing with this spirit. Otherwise, it will trip you up and undermine you and so on. Okay. And when a Jezebelic spirit is removed from a church, whether it's operating through the leader or it's operating through somebody who's resisted the leadership, you have to then work very, very hard because people suffer the effects for a long time. Okay? I remember the church I mentioned where the leader used to mock his elders in order to manipulate them. I remember a friend of mine who went in to help that church used to gather them for prayer and they would hardly ever pray. And he said, what? And that's when it came out that he this sometimes used to mock them after they'd prayed. And it took time to release them to really take their responsibility and authority. Okay. Well, I've gone on far too long. Um, I've got through about 20% of my material. Uh, because there's lots of other things that affect leaders, which I haven't really touched on. Um, but I've tried to be faithful to what I was asked to do. Um, and as Rob uh, said, if you have questions, I'm not going to go for a a public time of questions, because often they're things which you don't want to say publicly. If you have questions, then I've said, text them to Rob. He'll answer those that he feels he can, right, he can answer. 
he will consult me if there are things that really feels he would like some support on or consult somebody else with experience. doesn't have to be me. Plenty of people with experience, aren't there? So, um, so what I'd like to do now is this isn't a personal ministry time, particularly, although the Mason things come. I want to pray for us all in terms of, firstly, what I was speaking about earlier, that we learn how to de deal with or avoid building strongholds in local churches. That those who are feeling they're battling for first fruits in particular areas, I'm going to pray for them. And thirdly, I'm going to pray more generally without you identifying yourself into things that might have been affected by the Jezebelic spirit. Is that okay? All right, so let's stand together, shall we? Okay, could all of you who have some sort of leadership responsibility, not necessarily elders, but any form of leadership responsibility, or you're moving into it, maybe you're younger and you're developing into leadership, I just want you to hold your hands out to the Lord right now, because I want to pray for you to be kept from the temptation of allowing wrong things to come into your leadership calling. Father, thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to raise up many, many more leaders. But Lord, we're also aware that those with leadership responsibility need to guard their hearts, particularly because their actions can affect more than themselves. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone here in leadership responsibility, men and women here, I pray, oh God, release them from impure things coming into their leadership style. Lord, I pray. Father, I pray. Let them never give way to manipulating circumstances. Let them never turn divine wisdom into the human wisdom that tries to get round people in an ungodly way. Father, I ask for that right now. Father, I pray. Lord, I pray for purity of heart, purity of motive, and ability to exercise their leadership in a godly way, even when, as happens to all of us, we can get angry and frustrated. Lord, help us when we do get angry and frustrated to step back and not take decisions based on that anger and frustration. Lord, I pray. Father, I pray that 
you would deliver us from manipulation even when we just feel we can't get people to listen to us. Lord, I pray. Just let the Holy Spirit work. And purify your heart. Now, yeah, we all have mixed motives from time to time. The important is, when we discern that mixed motive, that we make the decision not to act out of the ungodly motive that gets mixed with the other stuff. Lord, I pray, help us to do that. Holy Spirit's just touching people here now. Don't give way to the fear of man at all. Keep the fear of God prominent in your mind and don't give way to the fear of other people's opinions. Whew. By the way, that was an individual prophecy, not a general one. Don't doubt God's call on you. Don't hold back. God's calling you to fresh initiatives. Step out in them in faith. I'd like now to pray, as time's moving on, for those who know they're battling for first fruits in the situation. Please put your hand right up where you are. You're battling for first fruits. And it's important you realize that's what's happening. That's why I teach on this. Otherwise, it comes very confusing because you're doing the will of God. In one sense, my message to you is not terribly popular. Firstly, it calls for endurance. It calls for faithfulness. It keeps for keeping on, keeping on going. There's a few people here who just say, maybe God isn't in this at all. But actually, you're battling for first fruits. And God wants to remind you that he is in it. He is in it. Got that? Amen. <laughs> he is in it. It calls for prayer and God would say to you also be patient with the people that you're seeking to bring through 
loving them. And Father, in Jesus' name I pray that over this next year we will hear of first fruits being won in some of these... In, 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 yeah, I was asked for it in all of the situations that people have responded to. Even if the battle isn't totally over, I pray they may win battle. I pray they may, even though the war may not be won, they may win individual battles on the way and see people come through. I ask you for that right now, in Jesus' name. Hand of the Lord's upon you. His presence is with you. Don't doubt that when you're battling through on this. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. Lord, I thank you that many of us have seen, yes, disappointment in early years of ministry leading to great fruitfulness later on. Thank you, Lord, that in our early years of ministry you do more in us than through us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that because it produces fruit long term. And Lord, I pray, oh God, for all those struggling, particularly those who are younger, I pray, oh God, help them to see that instant results don't always uh, produce the growth that sometimes waiting for things to happen produces. Lord, I pray. Father. Okay. Now I'm going to pray now. For people who feel that they're either in family, in their workplace, in cultural context, or in church, have faced Jezebelic spirit. I'm not asking you to identify yourself here, but in fact, what I'm going to ask is that all of us just hold our hands out to the Lord, because God's going to give us a blessing anyway. And I, I just feel it's wrong to identify people because it can be misunderstood. But I do feel those who it does apply to need to hold their hands out. So that's why I'm getting us all to do it. And there'll be a blessing anyway. God, let it not be written to our churches. I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Father, I pray that wherever this spirit, whether through men or women, manifests itself, oh God, I pray right now for those affected by it, those who are affected by it currently, give them wisdom, enable them to act, to deal with... Yeah, this is just one thing I'm, I should have said, probably, it's important. You cannot... You can pray according to your gut feelings. You cannot confront according to your gut feelings. You have to confront on specific issues that have arisen. Learn to tell the difference. Because sometimes we can, we can deal with things on the basis of our gut reactions rather than using our gut reactions to pray and then see something manifested. And I just feel that's a word of wisdom for some people here. 
Father, I just ask you, Lord, I pray that if there are things that are there operating, and yet we don't seem to be able to get hold of them, I pray that things may happen that bring them to the surface, Lord, so that we can deal with them, and so that those operating in that spirit can be rescued from it. Remember, you're not, the spirit is what you're against, not the people. And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray when people set free from it, Lord, who have been operating in it, I pray for that, O oh God. But I pray now for your, we raise up together the shield of faith. Let's do that. Let's hold up our arms as if we're holding a shield. Okay? As if we're holding a shield up against the fiery darts of the evil one. Father, I pray that together, together we stand with those who are facing this particular problem right now. And we say, we're with them and together we're wanting to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Lord, I pray for that right now. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them and embolden them. And I pray for those who have been affected by it in the past, who have become uh, passive because Jezebel has reduced them to that in the past. I pray, oh God, release them into fresh new initiatives. Lord, I pray. Enable them to walk free of the effects of the Spirit upon them. Lord, I ask, in Jesus' name, we say together, we stand against uh, controlling leadership, we stand against manipulation, we stand against manipulative resistance to leadership, we stand against what would lead to immorality. In Jesus' name, Lord, we stand together on this. And all God people said a great big... God bless you. All right. Thank you so much, Dave. Could I just close with uh, just giving a one minute of uh, personal testimony? Do you want to just sit down a second? Um, if you need to go and collect kids, please do that. Uh, but uh, about five years ago in our church, we, we had what we didn't realize initially uh, was a young man operating in a Jezebelic spirit. We're very grateful for Joseph and Lillian for helping us to realize what the situation was. We, we tried to, to counsel and to pastor, uh, but using one of Joseph's phrases, there's a time for spiritual welfare, but this was a time for spiritual warfare. And we, 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 we were ignorant of what was happening, so we tried to be kind to the person actually we needed to confront the demonic. And uh, if you're in our church, you might be surprised because you probably didn't know this was happening. Praise God, we managed to prevent it from affecting most people in, in the church. But it, it was designed to absolutely bring me down, and uh, I was very close to a nervous breakdown. Um, but uh, number one, this, this guy was even employed part-time. Number one, we had very good uh, employment procedures. Don't overlook practical wisdom. Number two, we were very united, uh, and I desperately needed that support, but there was something in the spiritual dimension as well. Number three, we, we, we got uh, extra help from, from outside. 
uh, and, and then we, we knew how to pray. And there's a time to ask God for things. But in, in all these things, not just Jezebel, this is where we need to, to learn who we are in Christ and that we can pray with absolute authority, the authority of Jesus. It's confronting and commanding. Uh, and, and so one of the books we've recommended is by Dutch Sheets called Authority in Prayer. That, that was really, really help, helpful. And uh, um, it, this went on over a few months. And then it was at previous Devoted where Joseph uh, stood with, with us and our eldership team. And, and we didn't pray against the person. We confronted the spirit. And we said, uh, you know, we are, we are saying this, this church belongs to Jesus. And you have no right to operate in, in this church. And uh, in, in have different things happen in different places. But uh, in our case, uh, within two weeks, this person had left the town, not just the church. Um, we were very, very happy about that. <laughs> um, and as far as I'm possibly aware, I, I think we have come 100% through that. Um, and, we're, and we're going for everything with all our hearts. So I want to encourage you, if you're still feeling under the cost, because there's a human cost uh, you know, the way things can oppress you and, and affect you, that, that takes time to work through. That's where uh, the, the welfare does come in. That's where you do need help in pastoring and care uh, and, and everything like that. But, but uh, if you're under the costume, God will bring you through. God is perfectly able. So anyway, thank you for coming, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the today and uh, the rest of Devoted. Thanks. <laughs>